We are starting on James chapter 3. We started in James 1.1 in uh, October. And Kara last week finished up James chapter 2. And so we are on James 3. So we are way ahead of schedule. We are really flying through James. Um, And tonight, I'm not going to cover one, but two verses in James chapter 3. And you know what? That's all the Lord would let me cover. There's, There's a lot of good stuff coming up. Um, and I was showing uh, a brother my notes that I have James chapter 3 verse 1 and 2 notes and then I have James chapter 3 verse 1 and 2 long notes so you're not getting the long notes you're getting just the notes tonight as I'm preaching uh, I want us to keep something in mind and as we're reading James and as we're going through this together you'll know exactly what I'm talking about um, it's going to be very hard to match James's tone at this point in his letter to the church, he is fired up. And that's a ridiculous understatement. He is impassioned and he you, you can see it in his words. There's just a sense of urgency and importunity that this moment has to be seized, that the church has to grow. And it's very, it's quite intense. Um, so I, I'm, I'm pretty intense anyway. So I'll be a little intense. I just don't know that I'll be able to match that tone. But I want to I want to bring up a story before I jump into James, three verse one. Um, back in ninety eight, ninety nine, uh, I worked in Wheat Ridge, and when I take my lunch break, I drive on this long road uh, in a past a school in a school zone, and so I'd go to lunch and I and uh, when I'd come back from lunch, uh, I'd go through this area. And I'd always be aware of the, the speed and where I was in the school zone and the flashing lights and dropping the speed down. So I'm driving, and I am going below the speed limit. And I hear the Holy Spirit say, put your foot over the brake. That girl's going to jump in the middle of the road. And I look in the distance, and I see a little girl. I didn't see her prior to the Lord speaking that to me. And I'm like, that girl? He's like, yeah, she's going to jump out. Put your foot over the brake. So I immediately like start braking. And I'm kind of freaking out because I'm like, she's going to jump out in the middle of the road. Sure enough, on the left, a mom opens the door and sees her daughter. And, and I've got the radio on. I've got the windows up. So I don't want to hear, but, you know, waves to her and calls to her. The girl's so excited to see her mother. She doesn't look what she's doing. And she jumps out in the middle of the road. And I'm seeing the whole thing unfold. So I slam on the brakes. I probably come, you know, from the front of my car from here to my wife from hitting her. And, you know, she screams and the mom screams. And and I'm freaking out because it actually happened the way the Lord said it was going to go down. And, you know, I wave to her. I'm like, you're okay. And, and um, so the girl ran to her mom and the mom ran to her and hugged her. And I just started crying. So I'm driving home. I wish I would have paused. I wish I would have parked and gotten out and said, ma'am, God loves you so much. Let me explain it to you what he just did. I wish. I wish I could have done that. And I didn't. Um, but I cried the whole way back to the office that God loves us enough to, to warn us, to protect us, to admonish us. He loves us enough to be involved in our lives and not just to be some peripheral player or element or religious icon, but he desires relationship with us. And I, I went back to the office. I was worthless the rest of the afternoon. I'm telling everyone that will listen, which I made it a point to tell everyone who would listen you know, about what God did and how good He is. As we're going through this tonight, I want us to 
to give heart to the fact that God might be just trying to warn some of us. This isn't this isn't a rebuke that you're going to hear. But this is God saying, hey, I love you enough to sharpen you, to challenge you, to give you some things so that my will is done and I, and I do it through you. Amen? Isn't that just the nature of our God? When we talk about our God, you guys, here's the bottom line. He is good. And He is loving. And we'll often talk about the Father. We'll use the word Father to describe Father God and the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And when we talk about the Father, it's important that we don't blend our definition of that word Father. Maybe we had good fathers. Maybe we had bad fathers. Maybe we had absent fathers. Maybe we had no father. And so when we talk about the Father, here's what I want us to keep in mind. He loves you. He loves you. And He is good. And He is not mad. And He is not angry at you. And He has time for you. And He's always there for you. And He's always interested in what you're interested in. He always has an ear to listen. And and He always has arms to take you in. And even when you blow it and you run to Him, as we see demonstrated in Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son, He's so quick to show His love, He'll actually interrupt your apology. He'll interrupt your apology because your apology is not what matters. The fact that you're His boy, that you're His girl, and you're right there, and you're home, and you're in His arms. That's what matters to Him, and that's our God. So when I speak of the Father, that's who I'm talking about. Amen? I could stop right now, man. God is so good. James chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. We're going to really focus on verse 1 there. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren. I love... I, I love, James has done this several times in this book. When he's got something really hard to say, you know what he, he leads with? Brother. Brother. I mean, you know, he, he softens it a little. It'd be like me going, sweetie. Or like more like a carrot going, sweetie, you're not going to wear that right. I mean, I love you, you know. But she leads with something like, you know, something real soft. So allow me to walk you through a conversation. Just a pretend conversation between a good man and an older child who is going through a trying time. The relationship between this this man and this child is not father to child. It could be teacher and student. It could be coach to athlete, mentor and pupil, stepfather and stepchild. So here's how the dialogue goes. The child says, You're not my dad. The man replies, Well, I wish I were, because then I'd fill in the blank. This might sound familiar to every person in this room. For a matter of fact, it might sound familiar to every person in this room, because if we've seen other children misbehaving, we may have had that thought. If I was their dad, I'd... And we'd fill in the blank. 
What might the child be saying in saying, you're not my dad? It might be, I'm not going to listen to you because you're not the boss of me. I don't have to respect your authority because you, you can't tell me what to do. I don't care what you have to say. What might the man be saying? I wish I were your dad because then you'd have to listen to me. And you'd have to do what I say. You think you're so smart. You think you have all the answers. If I were your dad, I'd show you who's boss. And then you'd have no choice but to listen to me. When I said those words the first time, I'm not your dad. Well, and I wish I were. That might be the dialogue that kind of ran through your mind real quick. But what if this dialogue expressed totally different feelings? What if this dialogue expressed a totally different heart, a totally different need? What if these were the feelings of the child? You're not my dad. And you don't really love me and care about my feelings. You're not listening to me. And you don't understand what I'm going through at all. You're not my dad. And you don't love me like a dad loves his child. What if the previous... What if the previous dialogue expressed different feelings of the dad? The man. I wish I were your dad. Because if I were, then I would hold you close. And I would hold you to my heart. And I would love on you. And I would let you see that everything is going to be okay. I wish I were your dad. Because I've got some experience and I've got some things I've seen. And I'm just trying to save you some heartache. I'm just trying to save you from going down a tough road. So I wish I were your dad. Because if I were your dad, you'd know how much I loved you. And if I were your dad, you'd know I'm here. And you'd know I'd listen. And maybe you'd trust me. And maybe you'd hear me. It's not the child's dialogue that I want us to focus on right now. In this scenario, the child could, the emotions could just cover the gamut. The child could be bratty. The child could be brilliant. The child could be crying out you know, for help. The child could be dealing with just a plethora of struggles. But it's not the child's dialogue I want us to focus on. Please give attention to the dialogue of the man. The difference in the man's dialogue represents the difference in somebody wanting to be a teacher because they want authority and someone who wants to be a teacher because they want to share the heart of God. In that first scenario I shared out, everything that came from the Father was one of wanting to be the authority, wanting to be the boss, wanting to be in control, wanting to have his way, wanting to show you that my way is better. Right? 
We can totally, I'm not, I'm not even assigning motive, guys. Those type of things can come from a good heart. But those type of things should not be reason for anyone to be a teacher. The desire to walk in authority, the desire to be a leader, the desire to, to teach and to show how much you know, you know, even if you are right, none of those are why any person should be a teacher or a leader. Pointing people to the Father. Conveying the love of the Father. Sharing a simple message and making it come alive where the Father is glorified and people are pointing to Jesus Christ. That is why someone should be a teacher. Paul's instruction, I'm sorry, James's instruction here is one of teaching the message of humility. And he's taught it he, all throughout this letter he's written, throughout chapter 1 and chapter 2. This theme of humility has been there. Hey, you know, in, in 1.5, if you lack, if you lack wisdom, I know who you can go to, but you've got to yield. You've got to submit. You've got to acknowledge you're not the boss. You've got to acknowledge there's a, there's, there's a weakness there. But if you, go to the, if you lack wisdom and you ask the Father, He will give it in abundance. Just believe Him. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. You guys, James is not in the business of career counseling. That's not what he's up there doing. He's not just talking about a vocation or a gifting. But let me bring a little light, you know, into what we're talking about in this time of transition in the church. In the Old Covenant, your vocation was pretty much handed out for you. You want to be a priest? Awesome. Are you from the tribe of Levi? No, not a Levite? Then you're going to make a heck of a blacksmith. Right? But this is New Covenant. There's times people chose their vocation. They chose to be in the priesthood based on, based on that lineage. And, and, and it, man, it was, a good, it was a good living. It was a place of honor in the community. It was a place of, of, of respect. It was a place of authority. But we have a new covenant now. And there's a new church now. And I could imagine, and I, I'm taking a little liberty here, but I could imagine there's a lot of jostling for position, a lot of jostling for people wanting that same respect that they grew up with, that same honor, that same authority in this new and growing church. <coughs> Being a priest meant power. Being a teacher meant you had authority. Being a teacher meant you were a leader and you had a special place in the community. But in James giving this instruction, he's not speaking to a bunch of people that had the Father's heart. He's given a warning saying, you're going to be judged a whole lot stricter than anyone else if you teach this word. And I love the fact that James uses we. I love that he uses we throughout this. Hey, I know what I'm talking about. I'm in it. I'm in the middle of it. James's response was, think twice. Give a little bit of weight to what you're, what you're considering, what you're talking about. 
What a fantastic verse and what a fantastic admonition to each one of us. To examine our motives and to, to, to see if our lives are reflecting humility. That example that the Lord gave me of the father and the child. Friends, we need to let that example go straight to our heart. There shouldn't be anything that we do because we want to gain the notoriety in it. In this place, and in this place, and in this place, and in this place, and in this place, above all else, we should desire that God gets His way. Because you know what? There's a lot that goes on outside where God does not get his way. If we think God gets his way all the time, we are fooled. He does not get his way. But he's sovereign. The Bible says he desires that not one would perish, and people die every day without knowing the love and the grace and the forgiveness of the Father, demonstrated through the Son, Jesus Christ. He does not get his way. Bad things happen, and he does not get his way. But friends, if we have given our lives to Christ, and we have placed our trust in him, my life, he gets his way. And he's called my Lord. My Savior means he saved me from my sins. My Lord means he gets his way in my life. I yield to him. So my pride is no longer my pride. Not when the blood of Jesus is applied. He paid for that pride. It's not mine. I give it to him. Any vanity or any insecurity or any motives we have for desiring attention. We give it to Him because above all, we want Him to be glorified. We want Jesus to be made famous through our actions, through our words. This passage is a call to humility for leaders. And I will say this. A sin that has the ability to spread fast and to spread far and to bring death and damage it to everything it touches is the sin of pride. And we are to walk in humility. My dad gave me this instruction when I was a boy of how you can know when it's pride or not because I, I had a lot of pride. And thank God that Jesus delivered me from that. And I'd respond to something. My, my dad would go, son, that's, that's just pride. And you know what my response was? No, it's not. And he goes, son, the very fact that that was a response shows it was pride because you know what humility would say? Lord, let it not be so. Lord, if, if, it's, if it's pride, then Lord, change it in me. I don't want to respond that way. Lord God, if it's pride, then take it from me. Lord, I give it to you. That's humility's response. Pride's response. It can be a lot of different things, but it's never that. He's saying to the church, you want to be boss, you want to be a leader, you want to have attention so that you can call the shots, think twice. Because when it comes to his church, God does not play. God does not play. 
And I had, in the long version of the notes, I had some verses, man, and we were going to go through them. But I'm going to slowly read the verses, the address to you, so you can look it up. You know, because it would be a much longer message if I went with the long notes. I'll get there in a minute. So I like to paraphrase what James says. So here's, here's what he says in that bro. And yes, he's saying bro. Bro, don't be in any rush to take on the responsibility and work of being a teacher. God is very serious about teachers being held to strict, strict standards. I don't know a single teacher who is perfectly qualified. In fact, there's a good chance that we get something wrong almost every time we open our mouths. Because the flesh is always front and center trying to get in the way. Talk about the need for humility. Knowing that when I stand up here, there's going to be times I'm like, it says in Mark chapter 3 that, I don't know what it says, but something about just win, baby? I don't know. Uh, Maybe that wasn't even Jesus at all. I mean, it happens. It happens. I'm like, 1 Peter 5.8 says, I don't know, I forget. We're flawed. When I leave this place, I pray a prayer. And I encourage others to pray a prayer. And some of you have heard this. When I leave this place at the end of the night, I pray a prayer on my drive home. Lord, I give you all. I give you the ways that you used me and I know you used me. But Lord, I give you the ways I blew it and I know I blew it. And Lord, it's not about me. So Lord, I give it to you because I trust you for the results. But Lord, I also give all the glory, all the fame, all the attention to you. In Jesus' name. And then it's done. I don't go back and review my message. I don't do anything. I trust the Holy Spirit to be the Holy Spirit. And he is an expert at what he does. So much so that Jesus made the statement, it's better that I go away. Because if I don't, the Holy Spirit won't come. And he will guide you into all truth. Humility. James has made a point to answer, to give this answer of humility to many of the trials and tribulations that he has listed since he wrote this letter. So, once again, I'll say them slow. I'm not reading them. James 1, 5. 9 through 11. 13 through 15. 16 through 18. 19. 21. And verse 26 of chapter 1. The theme of humility is involved. James 2, 13. And now we're in James chapter 3 and we see that he's not done with this theme of humility. If you are reading ahead and you read throughout chapter 3, 4, and 5, you're going to find many expressions of this reoccurring theme and a warning against arrogance and being instructed in humility. And the bottom line is this. Those who walk in teaching and those who walk in leadership better always be on guard against the attack of arrogance. Always. You better be on guard because that's what the enemy loves to do to make it about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. But, But our tendency and our flesh and our inclination is to make everything about us. Our feelings. I don't like the worship. I don't like the worship. I didn't like the drums. I didn't like... What in the world was that? 
I'm a guitar guy. I'm not a drum guy, which, by the way, that was just powerful, man. Worship was powerful tonight. But we make worship about us. Worship ain't about us. It's about Jesus. Well, I don't like that preacher. I didn't like his red shirt. That's... You guys, I don't know if there's any of us that are exempt from this, but the challenge for all of us to walk in humility, man, it's ours. We're not to make this thing about us, but about him. A teacher is obligated to teach what is true and then to live up what they taught. James has made very clear it's not enough to just talk the talk. You've got to walk the walk. God expects more for church, from church leaders and he holds them accountable for what they teach to his people. So I want to talk about God's expectations. Write these verses down and study them. Ezekiel 34, 1 through 10. Ezekiel 34, 1 through 10. It's a very stern warning against those bad shepherds who do not care for his flock. Matthew 5.19. Matthew 18.4-6. Both of those are clear instruction about what will happen to you if you are a teacher and you teach falsely. If you teach the word out of context. If you, if you minimize scripture or truth of God. And then the other one, a warning if you lead a little one astray. If you teach a little one and you lead them away from God, away from his from his love, from his grace, oh buddy, God don't play. Luke 12:42-48. Read it because there's a line when Jesus talks about the unfaithful Steward being cut into pieces and being assigned a place with unbelievers. And that place is hell. It's, I'm serious, cutting the pieces. Those of you ninja movie fans, you're going to love it. Go home, don't, don't pop in a movie. Read this. God takes his church very seriously. God takes the teaching of his word very seriously. What are Jesus' thoughts on someone being a teacher and a leader? Luke twelve forty four. the second part of that says, From everyone who has been given, much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much, of him they will ask all the more. To whom much is given, much is required. And guys, to get up here each week and talk about Jesus and preach Jesus and preach His grace, that is an honor and a responsibility. And God has entrusted that with me, and I take it seriously. But much is required. Then there's times I'd love to... I, I'm human. I'd love to go off on somebody. I'd love to go off on a Facebook rant. I'd love to... I mean, whatever it is, I'd love to do it. My flesh would love to do it. Because that's what the flesh does. It makes it about me. But to whom much is given, much is required. I can't do that junk. But you guys, you know what? You can't either. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and He is Lord, then you don't have the liberty just to spout off at every 
trivial complaints? Where is life in that? Complaints, man. When my eyes are set on Jesus Christ, I don't notice the complaints. I don't notice the other things when my eyes are set on Him and I remember His goodness. You guys, we need teachers. We need teachers. We need leaders. Please don't think I'm standing up here discouraging people from being leaders. But we don't need any leaders or any teachers who are going to make it about themselves. We need teachers and leaders who will make it about Jesus, who will rave about Jesus. Rave about Jesus. Talk wildly about Jesus. Tell everyone about Jesus. You can be a teacher just by talking about the goodness of Jesus Christ. Talking about the love of our Father demonstrated by the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that points people to God. That brings people to love. That demonstrates the Father's heart. We need teachers, but we need teachers and leaders that have the Father's heart, that demonstrate the Father's heart in all they do. You want to see people healed? You got the Father's heart because He's all about seeing people healed and restored. You want to love on them and tell them about the immeasurable love of God? You can't even measure it. You can't even imagine it. I know, I know you've had a rough life, but man, let me bring you to Him. And let me see that... I want you to see that He's good. We need teachers like that. You, you want the honor of... And I, I consider it an honor. This is not about me. This is I consider it an honor to stand right up here and point people to Jesus. That is an honor. You want that honor to, to, to speak before men, whether it's right here or anywhere, but to speak before men and, and point them to Jesus? You want that position of honor? I got great advice for you. Take this position. Take this position. Come here, bud. What's up, Caleb? We take a place of humility. The Word talks about that, about being a servant and God elevating the least of these. That's the shepherd's heart, guys. Let's not confuse being a teacher and being a scholar. I'm not asking anyone here to be a scholar. I'm asking you to point people to Jesus. As I grow more and more in love with Him, and I am in love with Him, I do love my God. I have a hunger. I have a hunger for Him. I want to. I want to spend more time with Him. I want to be around Him. I want to talk about Him. I want to rave about Him. I do. Man, He's awesome. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. You guys, it's not just God that's that's bringing that judgment either. It's our fruit that's being judged. Our lives are just dangled out there in front of people, and it's our fruit that's being judged. What is the fruit of our lives? 
You guys, the fruit of our lives are on display now more than ever. You're on Twitter, it's on display. You're on Facebook, it's on display. You, I don't know what else, there's different apps and stuff. I, it's on display. You know what I'm talking about. I don't have to know all the names of technology. It's on display. What matters? What matters to us? Let that be what we rave about. And friends, if we have given our lives to Jesus, that's what we should rave about. Well, I just, I'm not that enthused. I just, Mark, I'm not excited about Jesus like you are. Then one, you might not know him. Because I, I swear to you, if you knew him, you would rave about him. If you knew him, you couldn't contain it because he is awesome. He is incredible. Or maybe you know him, but number two, maybe you haven't surrendered. Because if you haven't surrendered, I can understand why you wouldn't rave about him. Surrendering our lives, surrendering our wills, surrendering our flesh, surrendering all, and trusting him for the results, for the outcome. Guys, you're not in control, and neither am I. But yet we try and control every little part of our lives. I know as a parent it's hard. I want to control every aspect of my kids' lives. I can't. He's in control of my kids. I see Hawk in the back there. And Hawk is not perfect. Spend 60 seconds with Hawk, and you'll find out he's not perfect. I love being around Hawk. He raves about Jesus. I love spending time with him. He raves about Jesus. You can, it's impossible for you to spend time with Hawk and him not talk about how God has changed his life. It's, it's impossible for you to spend 10 minutes with him and, and for Hawk not to, to rave about the ways that he has shared what he has learned with others. I love being around that. I love being around people that rave about Jesus. Quite honestly, man, I, and I got to pray about this. You can pray for me too. I'm getting a lower and lower tolerance for people who, who all they talk about is just trivial things. I don't care about that. Can I just, can I say that? I don't care about these trivial things. I care about Jesus. I, man, and, and maybe I went too far there. I'm, I'm good with it. No, I'll sleep good tonight. Elders meeting. We had a six-hour elders meeting. We've only had elders for, for a month. This is pretty awesome. We had a six-hour meeting a couple weeks ago, and it was phenomenal. Best six-hour meeting I've ever been a part of. We spent 90 minutes praying for people in this church, calling people by name, and it felt like 30 minutes. 90 minutes, an hour and a half. Lord, right now, we just lift up Marie before you. Lord, we just lift and just praying for people. And it was amazing. But you know what our meeting consisted of? Not solving problems, not the world's problems, not the church's problems. We sat around raving about Jesus, talking about what he had done, what he's doing, and what we haven't even imagined yet, what he's going to do at Impact Rock Church. Guys, our lives have got to be about more than just ourselves, and we need teachers. But we need teachers to not make it about our knowledge or our information or our social causes. It's got to be about Jesus. I don't know why I ever said I'm going to have a tough time matching James's tone. I repent of that. That was, that was ridiculous. 
You guys, if you don't rave about Jesus, you have no business teaching. If you if you can't just gush Jesus and his love, you have no business being a teacher. I, I wish James would have said that. If you can't gush Jesus, don't even think about being a teacher. It's not an occupation. You guys, being thrilled about Jesus can only come through relationship and surrender. Being thrilled about Jesus can only come through relationship and surrender. It can't come from being knowing about somebody. It, it, you can be thrilled when you know that person. When you have a relationship with them. When you just got off the phone with them. When you're going to see them in, in 10 minutes and you, it's the longest 10 minutes because you just want to be with them. And surrender. Guys, that's, that's one of those difficult things is salvation is not about repeating a prayer because reading, repeating a prayer can't gauge the heart. Repeating a prayer might be indicative of the belief I have in my heart, but it might not. It's not about the prayer. It's about the belief. I believe and I receive. I receive His grace. I make it about Him and nothing about me. I don't earn my salvation. I can't do enough good works to, to buy it. or No, none of that. It's His grace and the completed work of Jesus Christ and that alone. But you guys, our lives have to be a life surrendered to God. Here's, here's, what, here's what that's like. Lord, have your way. Lord, I give you my all. Lord, I don't know what I'm... I don't even know how to do this. How, how am I a good Christian? How do I... But I give, I give it to you and I, I trust you to teach me. I trust you to speak to me in your word, through others, in worship, through whatever. And then to walk out that life of surrender. I am constantly surrendering to him. I'm constantly yielding to him. Saying, you have the right of way. And that means i got to put my foot on the brake sometimes and go, you've got the right of way. I yield to you, Lord. Have your way. Jesus is awesome. He talked about chopping people into pieces and yet he's still loving. I mean, not many people can pull that off. He's mighty. He's not some wimpy, skinny, feminine white guy in Renaissance art. He is mighty. He is the King of Kings. He is our risen Savior. Easter's coming up soon, and churches will be packed. Lord, let's pray churches are packed. Friends, let's pray churches are packed. Churches that are preaching Jesus will be packed. And people are going to talk about his life, his death, three days in the tomb, his resurrection. But friends, we're supposed to rave about the fact that He is alive right now. That He is our risen Savior right now. And that we can have life with Him. Let's pray.